podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, as well as the four teams that will soon be joining us. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today for our midweek episode, our last midweek episode until August. That's right. Starting next week, our Monday episode, our weekly Monday episode will be the only episode of the week each week, one episode a week through the summer until we get to August. Just going to cut back a little bit, really put a lot of time and effort into some of the episodes we have planned, which are going to be... I think kind of evergreen episodes for the duration of the offseason. A lot of football talk, a lot of college football focus. Before we get to all that, we do have some football talk today because we have three fantastic guests on the show. Five Big 12 teams will be taking part in the NCAA Baseball Regionals kickoff this Friday. Kickoff, first pitch, whatever sports term you want to use. Randy Heights joining us today, one of my favorite guests to talk Big 12 Baseball. He's here. We're going to preview each of the regionals that the Big 12 is a part of, including the two that the Big 12 is hosting. Our good friend Joe Broback is putting out his 2022 college football preview magazine. It's entirely digital and it's free. We're going to talk about it, his thoughts on the Big 12 this upcoming year. You're going to want to download this thing. It comes out on Friday. We're going to talk with him about it, some of his thoughts and predictions on the Big 12 coming up. But the first thing we're going to do today is the first thing we typically do and have typically done the last few months when it comes to our midweek episodes, and that's talk softball. Because this weekend, starting Thursday morning, the morning this comes out at 11 a.m., the start of the Women's College World Series, three current Big 12 teams entered the Women's College World Series, took part in regionals, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. All three of those teams are still fighting, still competing for a national championship. No other conference can say that 100% of their entries made it all the way to the pinnacle of the sport in Oklahoma City. Of course, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, not too shocking they're here. They were both top eight seed hosts. The one that is, of course, shocking, one of three unseeded teams to make it all the way here, Texas. That, of course, has my usual guest very, very, very excited, Melina Sanchez. Melina, I mean, I know you're pumped, but I mean, just go ahead and, and have your moment to just whatever you want to say and do. Yeah, I'm really excited about Texas. You know, I'm not going to lie. When I picked them in a win against Washington, that was a straight up, you know, 
confident pick. I was like, they're definitely going to beat Washington and we're going to move on to Fayetteville. But that pick, when I picked him to beat Arkansas, that was more of a fan pick. Like I said, I thought Arkansas was the second best team uh, behind Oklahoma. Very excited. Haley Dolcini, she just showed gut, showed grits, grit, whatever you want to call it, uh, to win that game too. Then Sophia Simpson comes in, does not pitch like a freshman, just shuts out Arkansas. Great hitting team, back-to-back SEC champs. I guess you can say that Texas will be just fine when they enter the SEC. Yeah, I mean, you if you want to do something in the postseason, you've got to have people step up. And Texas absolutely did. We said that we if they played like they did against Washington, and honestly, I think they played better against Arkansas in games two and three than they did even against Washington in that regional. So I, I incredible performance by Texas. Love that they're here. They are on uh, in bracket one, the side of the bracket with Oklahoma, along with UCLA and Northwestern, the side of the bracket that has three seeded teams. On the other side, we have Oklahoma State, Arizona, Oregon State, and Florida. We've got a very interesting collection of teams here. Uh, Florida was able to get past Virginia Tech in blowout fashion in game three to help the SEC continue their streak of having a team here in Oklahoma City. They almost didn't. Virginia Tech would have made it uh, instead. What an interesting postseason in which we have three teams from the Big 12, three teams from the Pac-12, one Big 10, one SEC, no ACC conference that was just everywhere. They're just it's SEC and ACC is the two best conferences in, in college softball this year. And those two conferences combined have sent one team. Now, I do think Florida is poised to continue to be one of the hottest teams in the postseason. I do, I do, I do. But for all the talk about the ACC and the SEC, postseason is the great equalizer. And we sit here with the two conferences that weren't supposed to be the two best with majority of the representation. Yeah, you talk about the SEC. Uh, they, they did get Florida in, and, and Florida has the potential to win it all. I mean, Tim Walton's a phenomenal coach. They started off a little bit shaky. In that first game against Virginia Tech, Elizabeth Hightower took the loss, and Natalie Lugo comes in. They win back-to-back games uh, for the SEC. But you got you got to give it to teams like Oklahoma, um, sorry, Arizona and Texas, Oregon State, who got hot at the right times. Didn't have the greatest regular seasons. You remember Texas going 0-5 in that clear water. Everybody essentially just gave up on them. Arizona, first-year head coach, Caitlin Lowe. Where would they be without Mike Andrea? But they've literally proved everybody wrong, and they're here at the women, Women's College World Series ready to make a run. So let's talk about some of these. I want to start with a storyline that I think will be will grow as we get closer and closer to the game on Friday. Oklahoma State will uh, will begin at 8.30 on ESPN. They are going to play Arizona, who has been a very hot and impressive team here in the postseason. They were one of those last teams in. Uh, a few months ago, they weren't even they weren't even sniffing the postseason, and now they're all the way in Oklahoma City. Oregon State, the other team um, in that situation. But Arizona, very unique storyline we're going to have here. Obviously, we do not expect Miranda Ellish to pitch for Oklahoma State. She will be hitting, but due to that tendon injury, I, it seems pretty likely she will not throw another pitch in her college softball career. On the other side for Arizona is another than Miranda's younger sister, Maddie, who will be playing for Arizona. So we're going to have sister versus sister. We we. This is going to be, I think, a storyline that will get talked about more maybe during that game and as we get there. It's kind of fun. I mean, if you're Oklahoma State, you get an unseeded Arizona, you've got Florida in your side of the bracket, who is not going to be an easy out. As I said, I still think they are the hottest team. They've been playing incredibly well over the last month plus. But you're Oklahoma State. You're the highest seeded team on your side of the bracket with Arizona, Oregon State, and Florida. You have a real opportunity here. And, and look, getting here 
once you get to Oklahoma City, to me, there is no disappointment. Oklahoma would be disappointed getting here. I get that. And Oklahoma State now, you're starting to expect as a fan base, I think, and and, and even as a program to some extent, to, to come to Oklahoma City on a regular basis. But I still think for OSU, like your goal is to win it all, and I understand that. But I, I, just getting here, to me, it's hard to be disappointed. That said, I do think Oklahoma State is in a very good position. I think Arizona is playing well. But you've got Kelly Maxwell, and this tournament – over the past few years, we've seen that if you have an ace, if you've got a stud, you are set up to have success in Oklahoma City. Yeah, absolutely. I've been preaching all year on pitching. And that side of the bracket has some great pitching. Oklahoma State uh, with Kelly Maxwell. Morgan Day's been actually doing pretty well. Like we like we said, uh, we don't think Miranda Elish will, will get a chance to throw but even the pitchers for Arizona have been doing extremely well Hannah Bowen and Devin Nets have been throwing exceptionally well I just talked about uh, Natalie Lugo for Florida State and Elizabeth Hightower although she had a rough game she's a great pitcher in her, in her own right um, the Oregon State pitcher has been phenomenal uh, I don't not sure how to say her last name Sarah Hay Haydicks hey uh, I, I totally botched that well, there's going to be a lot of great pitching on that side of the bracket we've talked about Oklahoma State's inconsistencies with their hitting so um, hopefully is the time for the for the hitting to wake up they're here at the women's college world series i think they're going to thrive on this stage kelly maxwell is a star morgan day uh, is doing a great job has been has been hot ever since that big 12 uh championship tournament so th- like i said great pitching can oklahoma state's uh bats wake up we'll see yeah i do think it's a very interesting matchup i mean i look i don't want to sound like a homer and this isn't some shot at arizona for being an unseated team the run that they have made has been impressive they are here having been on the road for both regionals and super regionals. But I, I, in Kelly Maxwell, I trust. And the way she's been pitching here in the postseason, in in the tournament, has been phenomenal. And the only team really this year who's given her trouble is Oklahoma. And, and it seems unlikely that they would run into Oklahoma too soon um, in this tournament. I, I would expect if that happens, then we've got an all, we've got a bedlam final. Uh, I feel good about OSU, but as I said, Florida's hottest team, period. I know Oklahoma is good, but there's a difference between being good all season and being hot. Looking at this bracket, too, I love OSU. I think I'm picking Florida to come out of it, though. Wow. I'm actually I'm actually surprised you're saying that. I mean, I would honestly have to roll with Oklahoma State. I, in, like you said, in Kelly Muscle, I trust. She is a phenomenal pitcher. She's been doing everything right. Like you said, the only trouble she's ran into is Oklahoma, but she's been pitching lights out uh, essentially the whole year. I mean – Florida is a great pick. I'm, I mean, we kind of, t- I, or I kind of said, we, whenever they were seeding the teams, why was Florida 14th? I don't really think they deserve that. Then they come out of that regional and then get to a super regional. And I say, well, you know what? Florida's playing really well right now. I think they do beat Virginia Tech and they did. Uh, they're a very hot team. You think they're the hottest team. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to be the homer here and say that Texas is probably the hottest team uh, in the world series right now. Um, but I do think Oklahoma state comes out of that bracket and I am Honestly, as much as a Texas fan I am, I would not be disappointed in a Bedlam final. I think that would be a phenomenal all Big 12 final, and I'm rooting for it. I mean, I, I look, I would be happy to be wrong, <laughs> okay? Um, happy to be wrong here. I just – and look, it's not from a lack of, of faith in Oklahoma State. It's just the offense remains a little bit inconsistent. It has been better. It has been better through this postseason. And Oklahoma State's defense and Oklahoma State's pitching, you and I kind of talked about this, but the way the new schedule sets up, if you win and you have an ace, you are set up. Because you, you day one is four games. After that, it's basically two games a day until day what, five, June 6th, 
if you need four games. You'll have two games, but if if you go to a second, uh, I guess, bracket championship game in there to send a team to the championships, like I just, if you get a day's rest, you win game one, you get a day off. You win game two, you get a day off. And that's perfect for Oklahoma State and Kelly Maxwell. And, and knowing that you have Morgan Day if you need her, I think OSU set up well. I just, Florida's offense has been fantastic here in this postseason. I mean, absolutely. You you lost 6 to nothing to Virginia Tech in a weird rain delay game. Then you beat them 7-2, and then you run rule them 12 nothing. You go back to what they did at regionals. They beat Canisius 10-1, Georgia Tech 7-1, Wisconsin 11-0. Like, the offense in the NCAA tournament has been lights out. And it was good at the SEC tournament. They just ran into an Arkansas team, even there in Gainesville, that was really good until they ran into Texas. So, I think I think that Georgia Florida is an interesting situation. On the other side of the bracket, Oklahoma getting Northwestern, Texas with UCLA. I know you say Texas is the hottest team in the postseason. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about a Red River matchup here in Game Two with both Texas and Oklahoma advancing uh, in their first games on Friday morning, Friday afternoon. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that too. Earlier in the year, uh, Texas did play UCLA. Sophia Simpson uh, pitched that game. She actually did pretty well. Only gave up five hits. In that game, Megan Faramo, we all know what she can do. She's a phenomenal pitcher in her own right. But I feel pretty good about where Texas is at right now. The biggest storyline for me right now, is Jordy Ball going to pitch in the Women's College World Series? We don't know about that for sure. Obviously, Hope Trotwine, she comes in, throws a a no-hitter against UCF. Uh, Nicole May does a phenomenal job herself. So they have the pitching to take them through. Obviously, we know what their offense can do. That's not going to be an issue for Oklahoma, especially on the biggest stage. A whole 28 miles from Norman, Oklahoma to Oklahoma City. They'll have home field advantage. Uh, It's going to be tough to beat Oklahoma, but I'm ready for a rematch. I think from a national standpoint, obviously Red River rematch, again, another matchup between these two teams would be phenomenal. Texas being one of the only two teams to beat Oklahoma this year. But, you know, for all the UCLA talk, I mean, there's a lot. There, was, there are people who had UCLA with giving them a first place vote each week for a while. I know you UCLA matchups, not one to, to, to not be excited about. I don't mean to dog Northwestern here, but look, we've said it's, it's, it's championship or bust for Oklahoma. I think they're in the championship uh, series, the question is who do they play? So an interesting thing that we just want to hit real quick here is, you know, in, on the, the men's college world series, everyone in bracket one stays in bracket one till the end. Everyone in bracket two stays to the bracket two to the end. The women's college world series, it gets a little funny. If you win your game one, let's say bracket and just focusing on one side, you win your first game, you get to the second game. If you lose that game, the loser of the second game goes down to the bracket. So, that means that Oklahoma or UCLA could lose on their could both win, or Oklahoma and Texas could both win in game one. Let's say OU beats Texas in game two. Texas could end up in the championship series against Oklahoma the way this is set up. So it does make things even more interesting in Oklahoma City. And it does make you kind of sit there and go, if you just want to pick one team from each side, that's great. But who do you think, honestly, are the two best teams? So I, I'm going to ask you, Melina, who do you think are the two teams playing for the national championship come June 8th and 9th and 10th. Obviously, we're going to roll with Oklahoma, right? Like we've talked about all year, Oklahoma is the best team in the nation. They have the pitching. They have the the defense. They have the offense. They have everything. Then we get to that second team. Obviously, I want Texas to be there. Then I look at Oklahoma State with their phenomenal pitching, and they have pretty good defense. Their offense does worry me a little bit. Then we talk about Florida being a hot team as well. They have great pitching. They have the leadership of Hannah Adams, who is a phenomenal player in her own right. But then I think of Arizona and I think 
like of all the history and what they've accomplished so far, beating two SEC teams in a regional and a super regional, taking down the SEC back-to-back uh, times. Um, it's really tough for me. I flip-flop back and forth, but I do honestly think we, we may have a Bedlam championship series with Oklahoma in Oklahoma State. It's unfair they have an advantage with the tournament being in Oklahoma City. Blah, 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 blah. Get ready for that narrative. It happened last year. It didn't happen in the years that Oklahoma didn't win the national championship. But anytime a team in its state, I don't know why no one complains about Nebraska. Oh, because they don't, in baseball, because they never actually get there. Uh, just, if you've got that complaint, just stop. Just just stop it now. It's been in Oklahoma City for years. Um, and it, um, until Oklahoma wins every single national championship, it's, it's a dumb argument. I would love a bedlam. Um, I would. Uh, I think that the entire state's blood pressure and, and stress levels would be at a, at a, at a um, E5 tornado tearing through the state kind of level. Um, I'm going to go with Oklahoma, Florida. I love OSU. And I think they've got a real shot to make a deep run, a deep, a deeper run this year than they have the past two times they have gotten here. They've gotten this is the third year in a row, both the last two years. They win game one, and then they lose their next two. I do think Oklahoma State has a real opportunity with Kelly Maxwell. I do think Oklahoma State's defense is legitimate. Um, I do worry about the offense. And so I think OSU makes a pretty decent run here and makes a pretty deep run. Um, But I think we're going to see Oklahoma and Florida, the way Florida's been playing, uh, matching up in that national championship uh, series with Oklahoma the victor uh, and, uh, and keeping the crown in Norman for another year. Yeah, not a bad pick. And another thing I think about is coaching. Kenny Gajewski, Tim Walton, two both phenomenal coaches. Actually, played together. Wait, did they play together at Oklahoma? Was that them? Uh, they coached together at Florida. They coached. Okay, they coached together at Florida. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. Um, I look the phenomenal coaching. You see, Oklahoma State just gave Kenny Gajewski a contract extension. Yes, there's did. some jobs. There's some jobs opening up. Maybe he was you know, looking at some some other opportunities out there, but Oklahoma State did the right thing and giving him a contract extension. Tim Walton's been here before, has a couple of national championships under his belt. Um, so it's it's also going to be a coaching thing. Who, who makes the best decisions? Who who puts the right pinch hitter at the right time? Who makes the right decision when it comes to bunting? Who shifts their defense a certain way? So it comes down to coaching. I, I think both Tim Walton and Kenny Geisker are both phenomenal coaches, but Tim Walton does have the edge on experience here. So I'm not mad at your Florida pick. Uh yes. Uh, Kenny Gasky played at Oklahoma in 1994. Tim Walton was there in 94 to 95. So yes, they did overlap playing at Oklahoma. Uh, and of course, Kenny Gasky was an assistant at, at, for, at Florida under Tim Walton, 2013 through 2015, before taking over the Oklahoma State job. So quite a bit of history there between those two coaches. If we see that matchup in the second round, which I think, or in the second game of, of that bracket, uh, I think, I think we will. And I think we're going to talk quite a bit about that history. I think, man, with OSU, first off, you get the the sister versus sister. Then you're possibly going to get, you know, Kenny Gajewski versus his former boss and former team roommate. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of th- a lot of things to talk about, a lot of stories, a lot of interesting combat things going on here. Melina, uh, this is our last midweek. This is our your last episode with us until until next season, unless we find uh, maybe we we bring you on to talk about whoever it is that Texas Tech hires as their next head coach. Uh, let me just say, this has been a ton of fun. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed you joining the team and being here for all of our softball coverage throughout this season. Uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts or, or anything on, on the on the season up till now? This has been really fun. I really appreciate you having me on the show. 
Um, it's been awesome being able to talk about my passion, what I love. Um, so I think I thank you for that. Um, earlier in the year, I said that Northwestern is going to be a Cinderella team and make it to the Women's College World Series. So I just want to give myself a pat on the back for that. They've been pretty good. Danielle Williams is, is really good in the circle for them. Um, but yeah, uh, the Texas Tech hire, I still have no traction on that. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know who they're going to hire. Um, but we'll see. It's definitely going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be awesome to see who Texas A&M hires themselves. The transfer portal is crazy. It's going to get crazier. Um, hopefully uh, by next year, I can be like, wow, wow, Texas Longhorns, 2022 Women's College World Series champions. Wouldn't that be something? Quite the prediction for this weekend. And for your sake, I hope it's true. I just hope a Big 12 team, and I think one will, uh, is crowned the champions this year. Lena, again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. I can't wait, wait to have you back here again this uh, over next season. And yeah, as soon as we find out news about Texas Tech, we will break in with some with some softball coverage. Talk about who is taking over that Texas Tech softball coverage or softball team. Uh, do yourselves a favor. Make sure you are following Melina for all of her softball takes on Twitter. We love having her here. Uh, she's been an absolute joy. Melina Sanchez on Twitter at Melina Sanch S A N C H four. Melina, it's been a ton of fun, and we'll talk to you again soon. Folks, let me get straight to the point. Homefield Apparel is the home of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. You guys know that. I've told you that. I've told you that a hundred plus times. You are fully aware. You've been to that site. I know you have, because if you haven't, you're crazy. More than 100 schools available, schools like Oklahoma State, Texas, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF. In Houston, more than 100 schools, more than a thousand unique, creative, original designs. Big New Saturday Season 4 is going on now. Arizona is this week's release. And as I keep telling you, if you're the fan of a Power 5 school who's not on home field apparel, you're just going to want to keep a real close eye as they announce each week, typically on Monday, who that week's release is going to be. It's Arizona this week. Who knows next week? Who knows the week after that? four weeks further down through the summer. So remember the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 for 15% off your first order. You can use our promo code or any promo code from any show in the 1012 network and get 15% off your first order on the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever wear. You will love it. You will buy one. You will hate that you only bought one and wish you bought more because you're going to want your whole t-shirt drawer to be full of home-filled apparel, t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and joggers. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Make sure you're following them on Twitter. They are the good brand, folks. Don't forget the promo code NETWORK12 for 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel ever this summer. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone family. Join me, Jamie Steyer-Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. NCAA baseball tournament gets underway this weekend. We know which Big 12 teams are hosting. We know which which Big 12 teams' uh, seasons are continuing on. If we're to talk college baseball, there's only one person I'm going to bring on. I mean, there's a few people I would, but one of my favorites at least. Yeah, I, Randy Heights. Yeah. <laughs> Joining us again today to preview regionals and, and, and talk about the one Big 12 team that I'm I'm still sitting here a little bit shocked because they felt like an absolute lock. And what I want, let's start there. I mean, 
they did. It felt like the Big 12 was going to have six teams in postseason. It felt like a lock for weeks. And then here we sit, and West Virginia is on the outside looking in, despite a winning record in conference play, which is, we'll kind of talk mm-hmm. about what's what's weird about this year compared to years past. It's things that we have come to kind of expect as this is these are things that, that should guarantee you a spot in the postseason didn't this year. Um, mm-hmm. Winning a regular season for the Big 12, TCU not hosting. That's typically something that happens. Uh, the two hosts for the Big 12 are the two teams who finished, I mean, tied for second and then fifth. It's it's a really interesting situation. I do want to talk about West Virginia specifically first. I mean, sitting on the outside looking in, I know their RPI finished at 47th. I know there were a few bid stealers in some of the conference tournaments that, that affected that, obviously. But I'm still a little shocked West Virginia, with a winning record in Big 12 play, the third strongest conference this season, uh, is sitting on the outside, not with their season over at this point. I'm really shocked by it because they did finish, what, 14 and 10 in Big 12 play. You know, four games over 500, that's usually a lot to make a regional out of the Big 12 conference. You finish over 500, you make it. The bid stillers were a big problem for a lot of teams around the country. I mean, and another one even happened yesterday when Georgia Southern lost their conference tournament to Louisiana, who the only way Louisiana was going to make it in more than likely was winning that conference tournament. So the bubble got smaller and smaller. I think it's a little bit of a crock they didn't make it just because you do finish four games over 500. You're a top, you know, three conference in America technically not only just four games over 500 they weren't far that far out of you know like moving up towards first place i mean they finished two games back of first place of first place i mean west virginia finished 16 and 8 14 and 10 for what i mean tcu finished 16 and 8 west virginia 14 and 10 two games back but yet you're not good enough to make the regionals it's just weird man i I said it yesterday. I did a Twitter space with about 40 people talking about just regional fields. And it's where I'm at. And I've come to this point and I had been really for the last several years. I know the committee changes as far as members falling off the committee and being added every year, year in and year out. It's to a point now, though, they need to have like a general checklist of like one through 10. They don't have to necessarily go in that order, maybe, but to let coaches and baseball op guys know, hey, this is how committee and this is what they're going to use to select regional bids. Because it's not like football where these baseball programs put their schedule in Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and all these schools know in 2035 they're going to Arkansas. They put them together year to year. If you just let those people know, here's check. Here's what helps you make a regional. If you do these five things, but it's like they they change it every year. Like you were saying, non-conference schedule out of nowhere is the biggest factor of all. It seems like this year, that's never been the case. You know, it's like give teams a fighting chance to schedule for what you're going to do. Because right now, you're better off going like 16 and three in the non conference and 500 in your conference, if you will. Yeah. Because they're crediting non conference games. But then there's other years you could go three and 16 in non conference and lose one game in conference. And next thing you know, you're going to a regional. 
doesn't matter who you played. You could have played the sisters or the poor. That doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's just, there's no rhyme or reason why committees do what they do right now. And I, I would be beating my head against the wall if I was one of those schools like West Virginia that just missed out on a regional going, okay, how do we schedule for this next year? What do we do? There's some teams, there's been some conversation on Notre Dame not getting to host. Um, I think some of that is the committee doesn't want to have five ACC, five, six hosts from the same conference. If ACC got four, SEC got four. Yeah. Um, you can make an argument that Notre Dame could have or should have, or I don't know. Um, it, it's a crock. They should sure. Have I, mean, I, I also understand that like, we can't have every ACC team hosting. I, 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 but, but see, I'm against that. If that conference has the best teams in the country, if they deserve eight hosts, hey, they, they get eight hosts. I mean, Ryan Chapman and I here on the franchise were talking about that in softball. When Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC, there's a chance nine, ten hosts for the SEC conference. I mean, you can't punish a conference just because they're deep and they're good. No, but there does there does come a point where everyone isn't. As, like sometimes you look better because of the conference you play in and some of the numbers boost you up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that said, then you look at NC State, who got left on the outside with an RPI of 33. And yeah. I'm disappointed we're not going to see Tommy Tanks in the postseason hitting homers. Um, exactly. But to the emphasis of non-conference, and this is something we talked about at the beginning of the season when we had the boys from College Baseball Nation on, and we always like to draft non-conference slates. Is, you know, I'm, I'm, Texas Tech should feel a little bit lucky that they finished tied for second. We're able to go on the road and sweep tech, Oklahoma State. Because otherwise, I don't think they're here. The non-conference get rank, rank, or, uh, their non-conference schedule is right at 120th. And it's like, well, that's not that bad. That's not, that's not good. NC State got left out because theirs was ranked 189th, and they basically didn't play any non-conference road games. I, well, I, I, don't, I don't love that, but okay. The one well, I am... Be, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. As I say, to be honest, though, also, if you're comparing Tech and NC State, biggest difference, Tech's been to the World Series multiple times recently. They may not admit it, but it's also about TV viewers. Tech's a known commodity. They were always going to get in over NC State. Which it is, happens more times than night. Man, it's hard to argue that and say the, the home run hitter in, in college baseball this year gets left out. Who somebody I think college baseball fans yeah. wanted to see. Like I, I, I understand the the theory. I, and I would be fine with that with over a different team than maybe the team that has Tommy Tanks. Now people are upset about Rutgers because they won forty four games. Miss me on that one. Non conference schedule ranked two hundred sixty fourth. They played four teams in the top fifty RPI. They played four teams in the top fifty RPI. Okay, of yeah. their forty four wins. 36 came against sub 100 RPI teams. I don't want to hear about Rutgers. I don't care. They finished second best in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's not that great. We're we're going to move on. Congratulations on winning 44 games by playing nobody. Right. Like we're not we're not going to do that. It is disappointing for West Virginia that I don't think their non-conference schedule ended up working out as good as it looked coming into the season. I don't think it was as good. And I think they dropped a few games. They really wish they could have gotten back, obviously. Uh, but they are staying home. It is it does suck. I hate it. Uh, but there are five teams in the postseason for the Big 12. Uh, of course, two teams hosting at Oklahoma State and Texas. Probably not the two everyone thought would be. Uh, again, typically if you win the regular season for the Big 12, you're, you're hosting. And yet TCU is going on the road. Um, I got to talk about this bracket and this matchup because, man, you... 
we talk in football all the time of like, why can't we get these matchups we want because of the potential drama and the teams always seem to be able to right. get out of it. That is exactly what we got here. TCU going to AM, where their former head coach, mm-hmm. was just there last year, is the head coach at AM. Throw in the fact that the last three times Texas Tech or Texas AM and TCU faced off in the postseason three years in a row, TCU knocked them off all three times, twice in Supers and once in Omaha at the Men's College World Series. Uh this is this is fun. I appreciate them doing this. I appreciate the committee putting AM and TCU in there. Louisiana shouldn't be too big of an issue. I like ORU as usual, but I mean, this is all about AM TCU in this regional. Uh, I, I fully agree to a degree. I'm not going to go on the Louisiana. Louisiana is really good. And the way TCU is playing down the stretch, unfortunately, I'm, I'm afraid we may not see that. You know, it's kind of one of those deals. It could be an interesting game. It, it, but you look at all this right now. I think it's going to be a fun regional. It's kind of funny. I was texting back and forth with some other college baseball guys on Sunday. And as soon as the regional sites came out and TCU didn't get their, their host and neither did Arkansas. I was like, well, TCU's a two and A&M. Arkansas is a two and still one. Mm-hmm. Those were, you know, I didn't need the committee Easy. to tell me a dang thing. <laughs> like it's a given. This is what's happening because you know, it kind of goes back to your Tommy Tanks. As a college baseball fan, you'd love to see him in there. But they're trying to att- attract not your college baseball fans. They know they're going to have the baseball fans. So the networks and the NCAA want the average fan to tune in and watch. So, yeah, if they can build up a juicy matchup between, hey, this coach left to go to AM and now his former program won the conference, they're going to go in and play him in his first regional at Texas AM. That was a layup for just building it up, and I haven't looked at the TV schedule yet. I'll be shocked if when that game rolls around, if it does happen, it's not on ESPN, ESPN2, wherever the Women's College World Series is not on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a layup for ESPN to try to attract some extra viewers. So, yeah, that, that was the easiest thing in the world. And as far as your TCU not hosting, 100% agree. I mean, I live in Oklahoma. I'm one that sits here and I covered the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I honestly believe there should be two regionals in this state right now. But if you want to sit here and have an argument with me that TCU should host before anyone, I am 100% on board with that. They should be hosting before Texas. They should be hosting before Oklahoma State. They should be hosting before Oklahoma because the conference title in the regular season should mean something that that's just my thing they went out and beat all these teams and it's not like they lost the series to the other two teams that are hosting you know how how is tcu not a i don't care where their rpi is they won the conference yeah we we could have a very long conversation about rpi and what needs to be done about it um i don't want to go down that road today because we really don't have that much time um but yeah, I mean, look, TCU finished at 37th in the RPI. Um, I, I think that's that's what hurt them. Fair or not, it seems like RPI and non-conference strength of schedule were the two things they paid the most attention to. It's it And non-conference especially, because again, we can look at Wake Forest finished 6th in the RPI. They're not hosting. Like Non-conference schedule ranked 107th. It just, I, I don't know. I really don't. I, it, some of it's very confusing. It, it, well, it goes back to the committee. They pick and choose, just like Buddy said yesterday in the post interview how conference tournaments he almost acted like didn't matter that much you know mm-hmm. 
if they didn't matter much, Oklahoma wouldn't be headed to Florida right now because Gainesville got a regional based on what Florida did in the SEC tournament. They weren't going to get one before the tournament happened. No. You know, so it's like they picked and choose. Just like I'll say this, Texas wasn't going to get a regional if they didn't make the run they did in the Big 12 tournament. So don't act like Big 12 tournament or like tournaments don't matter for some teams, but then other teams, if you have half a brain and you follow college baseball, you know, yeah, no, they, they mattered. You just decided for which teams that they matter. That's what's crazy. That's fair. It's very fair. Virginia Tech's hosting. Their non-conference strength yeah. schedule is ranked 263rd. Like, Well, they, they were already a host. They're going in. I know. It's just it, it, all these different metrics. It's just it, it's a bit confusing. It is. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, who do you got coming out of, uh, out of College Station? Yeah, I, I think a and they're red hot. Yeah. I mean, it's they are they are on fire. I mean, it wouldn't shock me to see TCU win it because they've got pitching, but I've said it about the Big 12 in general all year long. I said it going into the tournament last week when a lot of teams pitched bullpen day on day one, and people are like, why are they doing that? Well, it's the only way they're going to win a tournament because you can't afford to go to the loser's bracket, and if you do – you don't want your bullpen facing a better hitting team. So a lot of teams besides Texas went bullpen day or midweek starter on day one. Any Big 12 team loses game one, I think they're in a world of hurt. Yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, you mentioned Oklahoma. They are in Gainesville with Florida Central Michigan and Liberty. Um, I'm, I'm just be honest. Florida better look out. This Oklahoma team is red hot. It can hit. I'm I am picking Oklahoma to come out of Gainesville and move on to Supers. Like uh, Florida's fine. Congrats on hosting. I think they're a good. I think they're a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm I'm riding with Oklahoma here. Hey, yeah, I'm kind of in agreement. I'm a little torn. I, I go back and forth because I think Florida is really good. The one thing they do have is really good pitching. Their offense is very streaky, so that's where I think Oklahoma has the best shot. You know, get a good pitching performance like they did this past weekend out of their starters. I think they're in really good shape to go win it. And this is where I think the committee, they didn't give Oklahoma a regional, but I've seen this in the past in college baseball and the regionals. They did them a favor. And it sounds crazy saying they sent them to an SEC school. What they do with schools, they feel like, you know, okay, maybe they should have hosted. They try to send them somewhere where it's a reasonable path to Omaha. Mm -hmm. Because I think they sent them to Florida thinking, all right, if you go play the way you think you should be, and you win this regional, we'd match you up against Virginia Tech, who's not a guarantee to win that regional. You could potentially be seeing a super regional in Norman. So, I mean, that's where the NCAA definitely did them a favor. I'm going to go ahead and go home team Florida just because it seems like SEC schools always tend to do that. But I will say this. If Oklahoma gets to sa- gets through one and two, it's easily Oklahoma's regional. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and your take on the Virginia Tech regional in Blacksburg, Gonzaga is there. Gonzaga is very yeah. good. It's a very mm-hmm. good baseball team. Um, okay. The other team that is traveling on the road, Texas Tech, heading to Statesboro, the Georgia Southern Regional uh, with UNC Greensboro and Notre Dame. I think – I'm gonna I'm just going to say it. I like Georgia Southern. I think they're solid. But that second – the first game of the day – Texas Tech and Notre Dame. Notre Dame, a team, as we mentioned, that a lot of people thought would be hosting. I think the winner of Texas Tech-Notre Dame wins this regional. I, I fully agree. I mean, I almost want to say cakewalk for Tech because I, I've got to believe Birdsell's going to throw on, you know, Friday 
for Texas Tech. And to be honest, it's kind of crazy to think about this. Go look at Birdsell's year. He's been roughed up really twice. Both of those were Oklahoma, you know, on back-to-back weeks. Other than that, that man has been in fully con- full control. And I think they win that game. They're in great spot because I think they win that regional. And to be honest, I think Notre Dame then has to beat them twice for the title because I think Notre Dame and Tech play for this regional title. Yeah, I, I do too. I think I know they went and swept Oklahoma State on the road. That's not a takeaway mm-hmm. from Texas Tech, but I think Texas Tech OSU is a matchup that tends to go Texas Tech's way. I think. Yeah. Uh, Tadlock kind of I mean, knows how to beat Holiday. Yeah. I was like, he's what two and twelve now. I think against Tech. It's it's not serious records. Yeah. It's it's not good at all. So I don't want to like I, I can't put too much stock into that as as Texas Tech going on the road. They have not been great on the road at neutral sites this year. So mm-hmm. that is my concern here mm-hmm. for them. Um, but I do think this is why I say I think the winner of Tech Notre Dame is the is the winner of this regional moves on. I just think that first draw, and this is why I said on Twitter, like it's a tough draw for Tech. It's not because of the regional they got sent to. It's because Notre Dame is the two seed there, and I think that first game against Notre Dame is going to be tough. And even if Notre yeah. Dame does come back around, like we know what happened, what Tech Sunday record has been. Like I, I am, exactly Tech can win this regional, but it is not going to be easy with Notre Dame being the two seed there. No doubt in Tech's, again, one of those prime examples. When I say a Big 12 team can't afford game one, Tech's a prime example. Mm-hmm. You can't be going to a fourth and fifth starter or the Big 12's in trouble. Yeah, agreed. All right, we have two hosts. Uh, it, Oklahoma State hosting, I think there's a lot of people who kind of thought they would just because of the RPI, because of the three games they were able mm-hmm. to win in Arlington and what that did for their RPI. I am, as an OSU fan, I'm like, I can both be like, yeah, thank you. And also, I can't believe they got a top eight seed and a seven seed nonetheless. Now, the committee didn't really like do them any favors. Missouri State and Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon, one of the last teams to kind of get in. Missouri State's fine. But getting Arkansas, the last time OSU hosted Arkansas in a regional in Stillwater, Arkansas won said region. I think it was 2016, if I can remember correctly. Um, I know Arkansas is kind of slumping right now, but that's one of the... Frankly, that's one of the best two seeds you're going to see. Arkansas fans will travel well to Stillwater. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm very torn. I'm very torn here on whether or not OSU gets out of their regional. I think OSU is very good. I think they're playing well right now. I don't know. I don't know if it's them or Arkansas. I, and that's no shot at Missouri State or Grand Canyon. Both are fine yeah. baseball programs. But this is, a, this is OSU or Arkansas. And, and I kind of think whoever wins game two between the two teams unless OSU just gets some uncanny performances out through the loser's bracket from some of the guys in the bullpen, I I think game two is huge for Oklahoma state. And if they can, if they can win games one and two, they can get out. But I think the game two winners, the winner of the Stillwater regional between OSU and Arkansas. And I'll tell you this, don't sleep on Grand Canyon. I mean, they are really, really good. I've watched them several times this year and Arkansas I'm not sold on them. I mean, that team, that team is just there. I mean, now I'll say this pitching staff, and I've talked to several Arkansas fans. They would, they were even saying this because I wanted to kind of make sure on the fan perspective, you know, what they've seen out of this team. Yeah, they think they've got a dynamite pitching staff. It's just flip a coin on what offense is going to show up right now. I mean, that team can't hit consistently. I mean, I've watched SEC now, I don't know how many times, and heard David DeLucci like on a game where 
maybe Robert Moore goes yard and goes, okay, I think the offense is going to get it going. And then they drop their next two series because the offense doesn't get going. So I, I, I don't know. Arkansas is kind of that interesting team right now, especially they went in and laid that egg in the SEC tournament. I, I don't know where to go with this. I like OSU, but what is scary for me with Oklahoma State, I think they've got to throw Justin Campbell now on Friday. I don't think there's a big – I've said it again. I'll say it again. Big 12 has to throw their number one guys on Friday. There's not a single matchup out there that a Big 12 school can afford not to throw their number one guy in game one. And unfortunately, if they have to throw Justin Campbell on Friday and Josh Holiday pretty much had no comment yesterday on Bryce Osmond on whether he can come back and throw this weekend, that is the biggest key at all. If you tell me Bryce Osmond's going to be able to pitch, I feel a lot better about Oklahoma State in this regional than I do right now. I think they win it but it may be holding on for dear life and playing a second championship. I mean, look, OSU faced Missouri State one midweek game earlier this season. It was a 5-1 win in Stillwater. I like Missouri State. If you can save Justin Campbell, and I think you can against Missouri State, and and it's going to depend on the offense. When we talk about OSU, Arkansas's offense, OSU's offense, it can start slow. It can be a little bit untrustworthy. It's just, uh, I think if you're OSU, you, I don't think, I don't think you can start Justin Campbell. I think you have to find someone else and save Campbell for Arkansas or round two. I just, but my, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but my only thing with saying that is if they lose game one, they are definitely out of this regional, maybe in three games, if not two games, because they don't have a pitching staff. I mean, and what I mean by that is starters. They're solid when you look at it. But, I mean, you mentioned you're an OSU fan. Without Bryce Osman in that rotation, he can't throw. I look at this team and I'm like, do you, do you really feel good about anyone throwing game two? I mean, I, I don't think there's that rock-solid guy that you go, that guy is going to go out there and give us five or six innings. And to be honest, OSU has the same problem every team in this conference has. I don't know if you feel really good about anyone out of the bullpen going and giving you five or six innings. Look at Bogus on Saturday phenomenal start that was his first he went eight strong innings first start he'd been good but he'd never thrown over I think it was two innings at that point in time in one game it's just like it's like as good as that pitching staff's been it's flip a coin and it goes that way across the big 12 I was shocked when I looked at the stats going into the big 12 tournament big 12 games alone there's only one team with a sub five era Hmm. That's insane. That's wild. You know? Yeah, I mean, used to it was, there's two teams with a sub four ERA. I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. My friend Joel Penfield, who knows baseball, knows I have been one of the biggest fan soccer critics over the years. Um, outside of one bad game this year, I would feel fine like if they it. went Medeiros and fan soccer against Missouri State. Um, I, I would feel comfortable with that in game one. Uh, and then move on to Justin Campbell for game two. But we will see. I do think. I, I, I know. It'll be interesting. I'm telling you. 99 home runs for Missouri State. I I, I'll, I'll I don't know who to pick here. I, my my heart says OSU. My head says Arkansas. Um, I'll, I'll say OSU. But I think it's going to be tough. I'm going to go OSU. And I'm going to tell you right now. I, I'm not worried about Arkansas. I'm more worried about the. I, I'm more worried about the sleeper cell teams. Okay. The Grand Canyon that's solid. Oh, yeah. Missouri State. I, I, To be honest, I hate playing any team that is hot in a regional play 
and Missouri State is hot. I mean, they're playing really well. I'm not saying they're good, but I'm just saying they're hot. Yeah. And a team that's got confidence in baseball is sometimes the scariest team. We, we usually see about one four over one in the first game right. of the regional every year. There's usually at least one. And, and Look I'm, down I'm just, Austin. Uh, yeah, so let's move to there. Texas. It's a oh, sneaky, oh. difficult regional. Texas has to open against an Air Force team who has already beaten them in Austin this year. Then they get Dallas Baptist, who I know they've been sliding. I know. Like they started the year really hot. They have the number one ranked non-conference schedule. It's why they're in. Um, and Louisiana Tech, who, as you mentioned, teams that are hot. Louisiana Tech. Like, if you're just a casual fan, you look at it and go, okay, Air Force, DBU, losing. Like, this is nothing. Yeah. Texas should get through this. You're like, this isn't football, folks. This is baseball. This is a sneaky, tough regional for Texas. That said, I'm picking Texas. Like, I, I, this is going to be an interesting regional. It's a fun regional. But the way Texas is playing right now, they feel more like the Texas at the beginning of the season than the Texas who struggled through the middle of it. I'm going DDU in this region. Ooh, Andy. Yeah, and and I really am because you say they're playing well. I say they're playing well with two pitchers. I mean, look, look at look at the Big Twelve. They went out game one. Pete Hansen, who I think is phenomenal and a mm-hmm. high high potential high draft pick. You know, game two, another great outing. Oh, now you're in the bullpen. Now you're in trouble. I mean, look what happened in game one against Oklahoma State on Saturday. That was after they had a day's rest that bullpen did. And at that point in time, I think Texas still had a lot to play for because they had won the regional beating Oklahoma State in game one. But if they would have turned around and lost game one on Saturday, followed by game two on Saturday, Texas is out as a regional host, you know, in my opinion. And so they had something to play for. It's not like they were just sleepwalking through the rest of the tournament at that point in time. I, I, they've had issues ever since they've had the inner injury to Tanner Witt and had to adjust people. They've had issues. I think they could even win game one and game two. And if they're up against the wall against DBU, as much as we said they've struggled, yeah, for some reason they struggled in the conference, you know, down the stretch. But what's really weird, I believe down the stretch they had victories over Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and TCU in the last three weeks when they played midweek games. It was almost like that staff, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've seen it out of a lot of teams being here in Oklahoma where Oral Roberts is at. It's happened a lot in the past where those schools concentrate more on their midweek games and their weekend games. Because they know it's RPI-wise, it adds more value to their points if they can go beat those schools. Kind of wondering if that's what happened with DBU, right, wrong, or indifferent. Let's see, five and three, five and four, five and four events, Big Twelve teams, but they won five in a row at the end of the season. So, look, I yeah. like Dallas Baptist; they're a phenomenal program. And midweek games are so funny, and I and I I believe they, they put a lot into those midweek games. I I, I like DBU. Um, I'm going to stick with Texas here. I I get it, but I think Texas having asking somebody else. Uh, we can talk about Texas's bullpen all day. Asking somebody else. If, if Texas wins one, two, if they win the first two, to have to come back through the loser's bracket and beat Texas, I, I would feel good about Texas. Only reason, only reason I say that, and the only reason I say that is because of the bullpen, and DBU's got a really good offense. If it becomes a score fest, and Texas has a great offense, mm-hmm. but I think DBU's pitching might be a little deeper, and that could be the difference. All of a sudden, you lose 11-10 instead of winning 
eleven ten. Interesting. We'll we'll okay. see. Okay. I just and also I I think everyone's playing on a chip in the shoulder. I don't think a lot of people think Texas deserved a regional. I think there's no reason in the world that team should have a regional right now. You finish tied for fifth, sixth in the conference seating. You should not have a regional right now, especially when your conference champ TCU is going on the road to College Station. They have no business hosting right now. It's wild. Nine C O yeah, is crazy. Yeah. I, Good for them. Um, okay, let me ask. Let's wrap on this, Randy. Do you see any Big Twelve teams making it to Omaha this year? Watching this conference all year long, I don't think so. I would love to see one there. I'm going back to this, and it, it's been this way around the country. Don't get me wrong. It's other than Tennessee, I think they're the only one with a dominant pitching staff from starters through relievers. I just watch these Big Twelve teams and see everyone get into their bullpen and all of a sudden a team starts making a run on them. I, I don't think they can. I, I don't know if they can rally through that. I don't know if with the bullpens that these staffs have can go in, especially on the road for all of them, but one and win a regional or a super regional make it. That That's my only question mark right now. So I, I don't think they do. I think there could be two to three make super regionals. I just don't know if they're going to make it out of it. Your best chance is I think Oklahoma state. You know, if Oklahoma State can get out of the regional where they'll then host a super regional, I think Oklahoma State can win it all. Because I would hope by then Bryce Osmond's back. And again, that's winning two games in a row. And I'll say this. I think if Oklahoma wins Florida and they get to host if Virginia Tech was knocked out, give Oklahoma a puncher's chance at that point. But that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you have any? I have a hard time saying that none of them make it, but I'm having a hard time picking. I think it's between Texas, OSU, and Oklahoma. Um, yeah. No offense to TCU, no offense to Texas Tech. I, I, I Texas Tech's road struggles, I think, are going to be too much for them to have to go on the road twice. You're a three-seed in, well, in, in Georgia. And, and even if they got out of Statesboro, you're going to Tennessee. You're done. That's the biggest thing. You're, you're not I, getting you past Tech up, Yeah, you put Tech up against anyone else, and I'd be going – all right, maybe there's four different teams that would have a shot, but yeah. you're going to Knoxville. No. It's yeah. like, sorry, thanks for playing. Everybody's playing for second this year, folks. Okay. Um, totally agree. TCU, look, I, I, I get it with AM. and <clears throat> m has been one of the hottest teams in the country. I, I have a hard time seeing TCU getting out of that regional. I think AM probably wins it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I think, I, I, don't, I don't know who I said earlier. I don't even know. I think anyone's that regional. I think Rainham makes it to Omaha. So I do. I think it's between OSU, Texas, and Oklahoma. And I, I I feel about the same against I mean, I think Texas has the best shot just because man, EC even if they, they hope no, they would have to travel to ECU if ECU wins their regional. I I man. I think East Carolina is good. Like I, I really do think East Carolina is a good team. I do too. Yeah. I I, I I would the Big Twelve being the third best conference as good as it is. I understand we would pay really close attention to this conference more than others. I would be shocked if the Big Twelve doesn't get one team in there. Uh, I'm just having a hard. I don't see a ob, super super just clear cut obvious path to me for any of them. See that that's kind of my problem when you ask <laughs> if anyone's making it. I would like to think one would, and that's why I say I think maybe Oklahoma State has the best chance since they get to play 
in Stillwater all the way through to Omaha. Yeah. But me saying that, I don't feel like, oh yeah, they're going to make it. You know, it's like, I'm still almost queasy going, I don't know. I've watched this pitching staff all year long and this offense be streaky. I, I, I can't say hundred percent. I feel good about that pick, but that would be my pick. And it's kind of that way across the board. I actually think this year in the college world series, it could be one of those years where you get maybe a coastal Carolina type team, like a few years ago, you know, cause I don't feel like there's a bunch of dominant teams out there besides Tennessee, you know, it's like, maybe that's where you get that sneaky team to sneak through that no one knows about to make it to Omaha. Maybe it's where Michigan, who's red hot right now and has a hell of an offense, maybe they sneak through their regional and super regional, you know, just teams like that. That That's the weird part this year about college baseball. Oh, <clears throat> absolutely. I, I would, I would, this is one of those years I would absolutely be shocked if we got like top eight, all make it or all the hosts win the regionals uh-huh. or like it, you're going to see some upsets. And I've just, I think OU's got a good shot to be one. I think Gonzaga's got a good shot to be one. I understand that Stanford is the two seed and Stanford's really good. Texas State's really good. Like that's they're really good. I still think Stanford's running away at that regional. Probably. Stanford just because of pitching alone. I, they're, I, they're one of those teams that has pitching. East Carolina's good. I no offense to Texas, but like East Carolina's good enough, especially getting to host to make it to Omaha. Like I mm-hmm. you look around and like it this is this is one of the fun things about college baseball. Like it's we see upsets in this more than just about anything else. Like they just happen. Yeah. Um, so just prepare for it. Just, just absolutely prepare for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. Everything gets underway on Friday. Um, ESPN plus SEC network, all sorts of stuff all over the place. It kind of like the women's college world series when it gets started. I love regional play with all the games going on all the time. There's stuff all day long, which is fantastic. Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. So I'll be looking forward to lo- it. Faces loaded channel on ESPN plus. They'll put it on TV some. If you're not like your team's not playing as much as I love watching all the full games, just flip it over to bases loaded on ESPN plus. Cause they're going to take you to all the games that matter. It's basically the red zone mm-hmm. of college baseball. Mm-hmm. It is phenomenal. I mean, my wife hates it every year because I'm a huge college baseball junkie. And for about oh, three to four days, I will be disappeared for just into the TV set. No doubt about it. After two weekends of women's college of of women's regionals and super regionals, and now this, my wife's ready for summer to start. Just to have the not the sports turned off for a little while, but uh, exactly, I was that way with conference tournaments last week. <laughs> Randy, you're awesome as always, man. I appreciate it. I I really think, look, lots of people do a good job covering college baseball. I don't think anybody covers the Big Twelve, pays attention to the Big Twelve, appreciates the Big Twelve as oh. much as you do. So always appreciate you coming on the show Thank and you. talking co- Big Twelve baseball with us, bud. Thank you, man. Hey, and I have Twitter spaces I'm gonna do, I think, before every regional day or at least after them. So follow me on Twitter and I, I'm talking a little college baseball that way as well. I know we had a lot of Arkansas fans jump on board yesterday after Oklahoma State and Arkansas was announced. Yeah. So follow Randy on Twitter at RJ Heights. That's H E I T Z. 1077. Uh, you can follow his faces there. I've been able to, to hop into a few of them. Not everyone. Again, I got a oh, three yeah. week old, as you know. Um, so, always a good time, Randy. Appreciate you, bud. And uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Enjoy it. College baseball, it's maybe the best sport out there. Get out and enjoy. Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either middle school or high school, and already thinking about college planning, scholarships, 
or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend, Brian Bedford, a 25-year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. So check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That is recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with Recruit Route. When it comes to college football preseason, you guys know about the magazines. I mean, there's the godfather of them all, Phil Steele, who's been putting out the, the best college football magazine of all time. I'm a big fan of what Athlon puts out each summer as well. And those are two of the best ones. But I think there's one more you really need to start making sure that you pay attention to. That comes from our good friend, Joe Broback, friend of the 1012 podcast. He puts out his every year for the last three years. This is year three. It is available for free. Unlike Athlon and Phil Steele, this one is for free for download, and it will be out this Friday. Don't worry. We'll make sure you have all the links necessary to get to it. And I'm very excited to have Joe on to preview, talk about his magazine, his thoughts on the Big 12 Conference this coming season. Joining us here on the pod, Joe, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be uh, reunited and join the podcast again. Always look forward to getting you on the show. I don't feel like we ever do it enough, but... Uh, this will. This is the first, but not the last. This summer, I'm going to have you on here. I'm going to promise you that right now. A little perfect. I love tease it. ahead. You don't know what it's going to be, but I do. Um, all right. So you put out. This is year three for your magazine. Uh, purely digital. Uh, it's available for free for everybody. Uh, and you look at this thing, and every year you do a great job. This is the prettiest it has ever looked. It looks freaking awesome. This 2022 preview. It's got everything from a national perspective, conference by conference breakdown. It. I mean. Let me just start with there. It looks great. I mean, how I know the amount of time it had to take just to put all the information together. But I mean, the look of it itself, designing this thing. I mean, how much time goes into that, you on your own, man? Well, I think the hard part is I start this process. Well, this year I was I was bored apparently during college football season because I started it in November, which is, <laughs> I don't know if that's a concern with how the season went. But, you know, November, December, I can't really do anything with players. I have an idea who might come back, but you, as you know, personnel is very difficult. So the design is kind of the first step with this. And I don't like to use the same format over and over again, but I like to keep certain elements. So I kind of have that foundation. And then, you know, as times are changing and content is changing and all the designs and whatnot are, are different, I try to make it a little bit different look um, so that it's kind of up to date and, and looks nicer so I do spend probably about a month or two just working on what do I want each section to look like and what, what do I want for each different conference preview player previews top 25s and whatnot and then it goes to the players which takes three to four months because as everybody knows and Bill you're not unaware of this as well as the transfer portal is probably my biggest enemy because while there is a May 1st deadline for people to get in, there isn't a deadline really for when they can join a school. So a lot of times, like I'm not including certain players in my preview because they don't commit by a certain time or it right now I'm going through the editing process and certain guys are committing. And I have to change certain teams. I'm sure I changed the 25 up. So I think that's the hardest part and puts in, you know, requires a lot of work, but 
it's still fun. I enjoy doing the work. Uh, the process is really what I get a kick out of, not only just from the design, uh, but once I'm able to actually put in the players and then incorporate everything to, into one big project, it's really exciting for me. I realized, you know, talking about how something looks on an audio format, always a, a winner. <clears throat> uh, <for podcasting laughs> it looks great. Visual. It's right here. <laughs> yeah, visual medium. Uh, again, this is going to be out on Friday. Everyone's going to have an opportunity to go and download it for free, for free. I'm going to emphasize this. I, it is worth to, to download and then just enjoy scrolling and reading bit by bit. You've got national coverage. You're top 25 for your preseason. Um, I'm not, we're not going to go team by team here, but I do kind of want to talk about some of your thoughts on the Big 12 this upcoming season. Uh, and we'll start here with your, your overall rankings. Your note is the Big 12 figures to be a four-team race. Uh, that includes Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Baylor, probably Texas as well. Your preseason top 25 has three Big 12 teams in it. Uh, I, I hope I'm not giving too many spoilers here by going over these with you. I, I will say, no, you're good. Uh, future Big 12 members, hello Houston, uh, BYU, and Cincinnati. You guys are in here as well, in case you're listening. Uh, and I think you have them in the correct order. I've seen some other people who have them in a different order. I think you have them in the correct order for this upcoming season. But you have Baylor, uh, current Big 12 teams. Baylor, it's at, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma at 14 is the highest ranked Big 12 team in your preseason top 25. Yeah, 14, no top 10 teams. This year, Baylor defending Big 12 champions at 17 and Oklahoma State, uh, Big 12 runners up at 19. No other Big 12 teams made the cut, although I believe in the um, uh, also considered or the receiving votes section, you do have Texas uh, among those teams. I mean, looking at this, there's not much separating them in numbers between OU uh, Baylor and Oklahoma State. Texas just on the outside, it feels like. I mean, you think this is a four team race. I, I tend to kind of agree, though I think by the end of this year, it's going to probably look a little bit closer. Or may, there might be another team potentially in that mix. I mean, how close of a race do you actually view this heading into the season? Uh, I think it's hard because you look at, you know, Baylor and Oklahoma State, obviously were in the championship last year, and both I think will be solid once again. Oklahoma is still Oklahoma. I mean, they were still right there, even though they didn't make the championship game. Brett Benemels is going to have kind of a different look to that program. Uh, and I think that that's a welcomed addition. Uh, I think that people got a little bit too excited about Alex Grinch and, and maybe thought he was going to be a little bit better than he actually was, but it was still, you know, still a solid program, still an offense that can score a ton of points. And I don't think that changes. I just like what Brett Venables can do as a defensive mind. Uh, so I think that those three are really the for sure ones. Texas is kind of a wild card because as you, Phil and I had talked about before the show, there are some significant holes that they have to address. And, and whether they figure that in fall camp or during the season, that's something that you can't really just say, oh, yeah, they got this solidified. You know, obviously, Quinn Ewers is back. Bijan Robinson is back. And Xavier Worthy, it's a, that's a trio that most programs would love to have. But the offensive line is going to need to find some depth uh, at certain positions. A secondary on the defensive side of the ball has some issues too, but the talent is there. I mean, there's a reason why they bring in top 10, top five recruiting classes and they, they have the talent on campus. It's just a matter of putting it to work and kind of changing that culture. I think that we've seen a lot of uh, TCU and Kansas State uh, love in the offseason as well. I think those are two teams that could surprise. Those are probably the only two teams that I would put in terms of who could sneak up and actually be among that top four if Texas isn't that team or if one of those top three does fall as well. You know, we're talking about holes. 
Um, and this is a conversation I've, I've had with different people, some on the pod, more off, I think. You look at Texas, questions about the secondary and the offensive line. You look at Oklahoma State, questions on the offensive line, definitely replacing almost your entire secondary. You look at Baylor, a lot of questions about the secondary, everybody they're replacing, including a linebacker. All three of them have seemed like they've got maybe the three best defensive lines. What is the big question to you for Oklahoma? You have them the highest ranked here for the Big 12. We know all the big questions, for, I think, for a lot of the other teams. What do you have as your biggest question for Oklahoma this year? I always want to say the defense, but that feels just kind of like a lazy take um, because last year I felt like they had a lot of talented guys, and I think that that pairing with Venable's system is really good. So I think I'll flip to a pairing that I really like, but I, I just need to see it first, is Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy working together again. I think that has extremely explosive potential uh, with the talent they have returning at receiver two. Uh, there's no reason why they can't be good. It's just a matter of what can Dylan Gabriel do in the Big 12. Now, it, Dylan Gabriel throws arguably the best deep ball of any quarterback in the entire country. That includes, you know, CJ Stroud and, and all the guys at the top, Bryce Young too. The question is, can he do it with the guys that he's working with? He has to find chemistry with these new players. Uh, and can he handle that big 12 competition? I think that he has it, but I think that's going to be the biggest one because if you're going to continue playing at an explosive level, like Oklahoma has been used to, the quarterback play has to be really good. And I think Dylan Gabriel is capable of doing that. It's just a matter of can he regain that chemistry with Jeff Levy and can he find more chemistry with those receivers as well? Because if he does, it's going to be extremely explosive. But if not, then you're going to have to lean on maybe a freshman quarterback or, or someone inexperienced that maybe doesn't have the same ceiling as Gabriel does. So my big question for Oklahoma at this point is less to do with position groups and more to just do with this regime change obviously they kept some of the coaches from who had been at oklahoma on staff brent venables did so there's there's a smoother transition maybe than you see at a lot of other places with the new head coach plus you have a guy who brought in who is coached at oklahoma is very familiar with oklahoma um, but it's not the same as like the transition from bob to lincoln riley i mean that that was almost a complete the only difference was the head coach right there wasn't a whole lot of of change to that coaching staff when bob left Brent really seems like, along with the different coaches brought in, and I think he's he's put together obviously a very talented coaching staff, but he really wants to change that culture at Oklahoma. Culture changes don't happen overnight. They take some time. And so my big question for Oklahoma is it's not a question of, of skill talent, though I do have, you know, obviously a quarterback uh, behind Dylan Gabriel. I know they brought in a couple of guys, but mm, we'll see. How big of an effect do you think is is the tr- is the attempt to change a a culture completely at Oklahoma from what they were doing under Lincoln Riley to what they're doing with Brent Venables? And I don't mean scheme. I mean I mean culture, the kind of program they have, one that is a more aggressive and physical, both in personality and nature than what I think Lincoln Riley wanted to be. How much of an effect do you think that has on this season? How much time is that going to take for them? And is that more of a we'll see the benefits of that in year two more than year one kind of situation? Yeah, I think whenever you're bringing in a new culture, it's going to take some time. It, you're like nobody's immune to that. So even if you looked at, if you know, obviously there's a bunch of programs. If you took out their head coach and changed things, it's going to take time for any program to adjust. I just I don't know. I mean, especially if you look 
you look at Lincoln Riley versus Brent Venables, if you have paid attention to football, you know that they are very different personalities. Like them by themselves, you know that things are going to be different because while they're both great at X's and O's, one's a defensive guy, one's an offensive guy. And if you look at, you know, their mannerisms and how they conduct themselves, not to say either one is better or whatnot, but they're definitely different. And I think that that's something that will take some time because whenever you see a new coach come in, you're seeing a bunch of transfers head out because guys don't fit into that culture. And it's not that they're not good players or they don't have a good culture fit somewhere. It's just that they don't fit that culture specifically. So I think, yeah, it might be a transition time. Uh, between Venables and Riley. Uh, USC is going to go through the same thing with Lincoln Riley. But I think that I just like the talent on there. And obviously it's hard to know what that culture is like without being in the locker room, without being in those meetings and seeing how guys respond to being challenged a different way. Because Brent Venables is going to challenge you like Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch didn't. Not saying that they can't challenge you, but Brent Venables demands a lot of his guys. And I think that's going to take some time for guys to get used to uh, and get used to how he asks you of things. And obviously he has to get used to how his guys respond, not just necessarily on the players to figure out how the coaching staff is going to act. It's on the coaching staff to figure out, okay, this guy responds a certain way. Uh, This guy doesn't respond the same way. So while you're trying to establish that culture, you're also trying to figure out how the guys that you inherited respond and then from there, you just go to recruiting and you find the guys that are fits for your system. And then from there, obviously, uh, you know, you're looking at year two or year three when you have a majority of the guys that you recruited to come to campus. But yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time for Oklahoma, but given the talent that they have on the roster and with the recruiting class that they have, it's going to be a program that is going to be just fine. Uh, I think that the drop off, if there is one, isn't going to be that great because of that. So this is 309 pages long, and I suggest everybody who downloads it reads the whole thing. But if you just want to go to the Big 12 section, it starts on page 54. You read all the national stuff at the top and then goes conference by conference. I'm going to save your conference rankings, even though there is a very spicy uh, pick at number nine here that uh, I would love to say because I'm sure the fan it would get the fan base a going, and uh, that's always good for the, the Twitter machine. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna save that to tell everybody. Wait till you see who's ranked ninth in the conference rankings. Just download it and take a look, uh, and uh, and then you can at our good friend Joey. <laughs> uh, That's just fine. It's jo- hey hey I it's we're just gonna we're gonna move on. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, before, before I I say it out loud, gotta save a few things, Joe. Gotta save a few things. Uh, it's at Joe Broback uh, for those who want to tweet at him. We'll get you that as well um going kind of team by team you know we talked about oklahoma osu baylor and texas a little bit you mentioned tcu i think you're a little bit higher on them than i think i've seen to be honest um the sunny dykes higher feels like tcu's floor should be maybe a little bit higher than it's been the last few years i'm not sure the ceiling is there but it does feel like a higher where maybe there won't be as big of a transition um we know the talent that's there he should be able to come in and implement things fairly quickly. But the two teams I want to talk about are Kansas State and West Virginia. We've got a bid here, you know, the Big 12. Since the Big 12 title game came back, someone has made a first-time appearance every year. Uh, it was Oklahoma and TCU in year one. Then we had Texas, then Baylor, then Iowa State, 
than Oklahoma State. So we've, we've got at this point six of the 10 Big 12 teams have made the Big 12 title game. Only four have not done so. Kansas State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas. And no offense to Kansas, I don't think they're going to make it this year. That's just my bold prediction. And and Texas Tech, as high as I think a lot of people are on Joey McGuire, I think that is a, your floor is a lot higher and you're building to year three with the recruiting that they're doing, but I don't think you're going to see some immediate like spike in year one. But I really do like the higher and like what they're doing. So that leaves Kansas State and West Virginia as my kind of like, okay, Dark Horse team to make it. Kansas State. I kind of just want to get your thoughts on them and what's going on there. You you bring back a lot on defense I like. I think you bring back a decent offensive line. Deuce Vaughn is going to be a ton of fun. And I know people are down on Adrian Martinez, but where I really want your take is this. How much of Adrian Martinez is Adrian Martinez and how much of it was Nebraska? Because in my opinion, going to a, what I think is a more stable program with a more stable coaching staff who is not going to put nearly as much on Adrian Martinez's shoulders as Nebraska continually tried to do and actually have an offensive line that protects Adrian Martinez and doesn't make him run for his life all game, every game. Where do you really think the ceiling for Kansas State is this season? Well, I think you you talked about it there is it really depends on Adrian. And honestly, when we looked at what he did at Nebraska, honestly, I think you have to put 50-50 blame because while Adrian did, yeah, like you said, he was running for his life quite a bit and it didn't seem like there was the talent there for a while. I mean, for a while, it was just Wondell Robinson. And it's like, hey, we're going to get him the ball 100 times and hopefully everything works out. You're not going to win many games when you only have one weapon. Uh, but at the same time, there's some issues with turnovers and it's not just the interceptions that he's throwing. There are fumble concerns with him too. Uh, and that's not, it's not a one-year thing. It's a multi-year thing. And I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I'm cautious when you're talking about a guy like that who hasn't shown the highest ceiling. Uh, but I do think that he needed a change. I, I believe that he needed to move on from Nebraska and Nebraska needed to move on. And obviously Nebraska gets Casey Thompson, who I think is going to be really good for them. And Adrian Martinez goes to Kansas state, a program that is like you said, that there's a ton on the defense that I like. I think that defense is going to be super stout and, and tough to beat. And then, you know, Deuce Vaughn is always going to be a favorite for me. I, I really like underrated and undersized players that don't get a ton of attention. Uh, even when, you know, Deuce Vaughn was just coming onto the scene, I feel like people still didn't really know who he was. You pair him with Adrian Martinez, who's a dual threat player. Been, he was efficient as a runner for Nebraska. And you pair him with Deuce Vaughn. I think that you give that offense kind of a, a different look uh, from what they've seen in the past. It just comes down to can Martinez be an efficient passer? I, we've seen it and we've seen him play decently in some big games but others we've also seen him struggle mightily now whether that was because the offensive line wasn't up to par or it was really just he wasn't as good as people thought he was going to be uh, I'm not sure we can't really say at Kansas State but I I think that with what they're trying to do at Kansas State they'll make him more efficient and if he is more efficient that puts them in that big 12 title conversation yeah I'm I'm buying up Kansas State stock I just just damn, I got, and I think the schedule, we'll do schedule talk more this summer. I think the schedule sets up well for them. I think they have a challenging, a challenging enough non-conference slate of South Dakota, Missouri, and Tulane all at home to prepare them for conference play without 
without a game that should should be a loss. Like I, I don't think there's an obvious loss on that schedule for them. So there's a very real chance they get Oklahoma. It's on the road, but they get them early. Like Kansas State could have a very nice start to the season. <clears throat> the other team I want, as I said, the other kind of dark horse, West Virginia. Neil Brown in what kind of feels like, I'm not sure it's a hot seat year, but it's definitely one where if it goes very poorly, he might be on the outside and West Virginia might be looking for a new head coach. But you bring in Graham Harrell. You, he hands off control of the offense to Graham Harrell on the play calling. You bring in JT Daniels, who is, I, I think, a bit more of an enigma than everybody really wants to say. Because, yes, he was a five-star quarterback, but at this point, I don't have enough evidence to say that he is a five-star quarterback in college football. You lost a ton of the portal on defense, but, I mean, if JT Daniels can kind of live up to some of the expectations that people have for him, and the way that West Virginia's schedule stacks up at the beginning of the season, like, this could, this could be a really interesting year for West Virginia. What is your take on JT Daniels there, the Graham Harrell hire? And then the defense is the, is the ball side of the ball we haven't worried about with Neil Brown at West Virginia, which is weird. But with as much as they lost, like I just, I have such a huge question mark for them on that side of the ball. Yeah. So I think that's why I don't really, I don't really like them to be in and kind of at the top of the conference in terms of competing for a conference championship. The defense just has so many questions because of the transfers and because of the guys that they lost. Now, Dante Stills is one of my favorite players in college football, and I think that he's going to be a force on that defense. But if you don't have anybody else around him, it doesn't matter because teams will just double him, and that's basically taken care of because they can attack elsewhere. With JT Daniels, I obviously people wanted him, like you said, I think people wanted him to be better than he was, but I also think it comes down to really health. He's really been healthy for the last few years. That's a big reason why you saw Stetson Bennett take over at Georgia is because they couldn't rely on JT Daniels to stay healthy for longer than a week or two. And you're not going to give the reins to your offense to a quarterback that's not going to be there because something breaks or something, you know, he's, he's not able to go. So it's really going to come down to what is he going to be able to do health-wise, physically? Is he actually going to be on the field? I do like that he pairs back up with Graham Harrell. Uh, I think that Harrell's offense has some questions in it of itself, but pairing him with JT Daniels is a good fit. I think that it has potential to be good. And you, you look at the talent they have around him. Uh, LJ Dixon, I think people kind of forget about because he was stuck behind Travis ETM. I think he's going to be very exciting to watch. And even though the receivers lose a couple players, I think that they're going to be very talented too, very fun to watch. And if JT Daniels is healthy and he's able to get back to where he was when he was playing at USC, then West Virginia is a very interesting team, a very kind of a sleeper team. It just comes down to really just the two things we talked about. Can JT Daniels stay healthy? And can the defense find enough depth to be able to compete? And maybe not at the level that Dante Stills is going to play at, uh, but can they compete at a level that's good enough to keep the offense uh, in business and keep the other team off the scoreboard? Yeah, I, they're a very interesting team. I mean, they just, they are. Because you, you lost so much in defense, you add so much on offense. I do think they have a really good offense. They'll have a, a better offensive line. Uh, you have it. You've got position rankings for each team. So the, the way this is set up, conference breakdown, there's conference notes as a whole, and then you have a team page one by one by one. Each team page has things like position rankings, topic games, top five players, notes. 
you rank West Virginia's offensive line as the second best in the Big 12, which I'm I'm not going to argue with. Yeah, they 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 got a lot. And you look at when it comes to Graham Harrell's offense, you don't need to really block for a ton of time because of how quick he wants to get the ball out. And with JT Daniels, knowing what that's like, having the experience in that offense, he's going to know where he's going to go with the football relatively quickly because they're going to try to get the ball out. Now, obviously, that's not always the case when you have to run the ball or if you're running deeper routes. But an offensive line is a big part of getting the quarterback comfortable. And I think when you're looking at West Virginia, I think because people don't pay attention to them, the casual fan is going to assume, well, everything about them is just average or not very good. But when you look at what their offensive line was able to do, I mean, Letty Brown was good in his own right. However, if you don't have a good offensive line, he's not rushing for a thousand yards. And that's a big reason why I'm also excited about LJ Dixon is I'm just, I love what this line can do. I love that they have a, a little bit of nastiness to them. And that's something in the Big 12 you're going to need to bring. It's not the Big 12 of old where it's just offense, offense, throw the ball all over the field. You do need to have a presence in the trenches, in the running, rushing attack. And I think West Virginia is in, in business to do that again in 2022. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question here. <clears throat> I'm going through these. Uh, the top few teams have a little bit more. The back half of the conference teams have a little less. You have your position rankings. Uh, and for you know the teams at the bottom of the conference, I see Coach – listed among the rankings. Um, I'm not finding it for the ones at the top. Yeah, I didn't do it for everyone. It was, uh, you know, when you're working at another full-time job, you have to make some cuts somewhere. But um, I will I will release those. I have everybody ranked still. Um, I just I put it, I had to provide something extra for those bottom teams, so I just put it for those. But I do have everybody else ranked. I don't have it in front of me, but um, – yeah, I do have everybody ranked. It's just made some cuts somewhere. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tease a little something here. Most of the teams at the bottom, half, the back half of the conference, ninth ranked coach, tenth ranked coach, eighth ranked coach. Let me just tell everybody, <clears throat> ninth ranked team in his preseason poll has the number one ranked coach. I'm just just it's this. I like it, Joe. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, I I, I gotta ask. Kansas is in 10th. Um, this is a team I am very intrigued with. And I think a lot of people around college football who pay attention to the Big 12 are just because of what we saw from Kansas last year. Leipold comes in late. Coaching staff comes in very late. Doesn't really even get spring with the team. And yet we saw that Kansas team continue to improve as the season went on. They almost had Oklahoma beat. They obviously beat Texas. They were close in those final games of the season with the TCU. I mean, what do you think is a realistic expectation for, I guess, the true year one for Lance Leipold and this Kansas team that seems like they were putting some things together as the team, as the season went on in 2021? I mean, I think you ha- have to see, you know, the easy answer is you have to see more than one or two wins. I, I think that's just, you've been so used to Kansas being a zero, one or two win team. And you just have have to show some signs of improvement. Now, if you go two and 10 again this year, you have to show that at least you're being competitive in those games or you're losing close games. I just like Lance Leipold, what he's created. You look at when he was at UW Whitewater, the division three school, that's a division three powerhouse. Then he goes to Buffalo, a school that was awful before he got there. And they're competing for 
MAC championships. And, you know, you have, you look at what they've been able to do since he left. And it's been obviously that this coaching staff had an impact at Buffalo and now they're not there. And now you head to Kansas, which obviously everybody knows Kansas. They know they've been the bottom dwellers of the big 12 for so long. Uh, the anti-basketball team, if you will. And I think that with they, what they have coming back, it was easy for me to put them at the bottom when I first started this. The more I look at their team, Jalen Daniels played really strong towards the end of the year, and so did Devin Neal. I, I like that one-two combo in the backfield. They also had Minnesota transfer Kai Thomas, who took over when the top three running backs from Minnesota got hurt, and they went to their fourth and fifth options, and their fourth and fifth options, who both transferred, we're really good for them. And I like that that's, it gives them some depth and more talent at the running back position. The pass catchers, I'm not super high on, but I think that there's some talent there. The offensive line is probably going to be solid. And then when you flip over to defense, Kenny Logan being the top tackler at safety is probably not a good sign. If your safety is doing most of the tackling, there's some issues up front, obviously. But, you know, you look at what they brought in in terms of adding some transfers to help the front seven, the returning talent they do have in the front seven. And I think that this is a team, while there are still many issues to address, it's has the feeling of a much better program than we've seen in years past. And I think with Leipold's reputation as a program builder and to be able to build those programs into winners, I don't think that we're seeing a bowl game, but I think that you're definitely going to see a step forward, whether that's in the win department or at least in the close loss department. You heard it here, folks. This is going to be Kansas' best team since uh, Mangino was uh, <laughs> on the sidelines in Lawrence. <laughs> 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 Don't tell Andy. Andy will get hyped up and think they're going to make a bowl game this year. <laughs> Joe, man, you are awesome as always. This thing is incredible. Like I said, it looks great. It's really informative. I am just going to keep pouring over this more and more and more. Uh, and this is going to be, honestly, this is going to be a reference point for me through this off season. And it's just something I'm going to keep going to when I need to prepare stuff. And, and it's, it's great. I'm pumped to have it. It's free. It's crazy. Um, it comes out on Friday. So for everybody who's interested, everybody who wants to download it for themselves and just pour over it this summer, which I would suggest you do, where can they do so? Uh, you'll just find it on my Twitter page. It'll be pinned as my pinned tweet. Um, and I'll make sure that, you know, everybody who needs to know will know it. Um, so if you're looking for it, you can find me at Joe Broback and yeah, just, uh, stay tuned for, I believe I set it for 10 AM uh, to go. I believe it's at 10 AM. Uh, so yeah, just come find me 10 AM central and, uh, yeah, you'll get everything that you need to know about college football and, uh, and the big 12. Uh, we will update this, uh, podcast, uh, information so that the link is in there once it goes live we will tweet it out as well and folks if you want like i'm happy to to send it to anybody when it hits up in the dms hit up joe in the dms if you, you're having trouble uh both of us are on instagram and, and of course we have our email 1012podcast at gmail.com if, if you are not someone who is on twitter we understand we want you to still get this shoot us an email 1012podcast at gmail.com we will make sure that you have the link i'm, I'm not i'm not kidding uh if you are someone who is an avid college football offseason consumer of of season previews you want to have this one for yourself this year joe thanks again man we will have you back on this summer uh we've got some position group rankings to do and i and you are a go-to when we do those and we're gonna be talking about that soon 
Perfect. Can't wait. Podcast Network.